All right. Well, we're going to finish this series today. I've been doing a series on uh, proclaim or proclamations that the church made. And I, these are just out of the book of Acts. And they're very important. You know, the, the first church uh, that, that is recorded there, the Acts of the first church, the first Christians, uh, they're in the book of Acts. So we've talked about several of them, five others prior to today. But today we're going to talk about the proclamation that, that Paul made. So we talked about the proclamations of Peter early on, and then Paul came on the scene, and he began making proclamations. Today, uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 17, and um, the proclamation here is that the unknown God, this is the story where Paul goes to Athens, and he shows up there, and he, he sees all the idols, and we'll, we'll go through that in a second, but this one particular idol that he sees or this shrine or this altar, whatever they want to call it, different Bibles call them different things. It said to the unknown God, they made a statue, uh, an altar to the unknown God. And, you know, the thing is, is the, the, the proclamation that Paul made was that the unknown God has made himself known. The unknown God has made himself known. Some people, they just, they feel like, I don't know God. Well, God has made himself known. But what we have to do is we have to be willing to pursue him. We have to be willing to step in. So today, that's kind of what we'll, we'll look at and we'll talk about here for a few minutes. So let me just start here. And uh, I'm just going to kind of hit the, uh, a few highlights here uh, uh, beginning in chapter 17, but I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to kind of give you some highlights. So basically, Paul and Silas, uh, they, they show up in Thessalonica. Uh, they go to the Jewish synagogue, which is the way they do it. This is what they did. They went to the church, as it were, at that time, the, the, the place where they, the people worshipped, the Jews worshipped. And he would preach and reason with them for several weeks, a couple of weeks, two or three weeks. And it says that basically after he had preached, some of them were persuaded and then some of the others, Jews, got jealous. And it says that they gathered a bunch of troublemakers and they ran them out of town. That kind of was a pattern. That was a bit of a pattern that, that Paul was experiencing. But it didn't stop him. So he goes from there and he goes down, or he goes to Berea. I don't know if it was up or down, but he goes on to Berea. And so he goes into Berea, and he says, it says here that they were more open-minded. They were more willing to hear than those that he had previously spoken to. And it says that they searched the scriptures to see if what he was saying was true. Because Paul was, was pulling verses and things out of the, the Old, Te Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. And it says that they searched the scriptures with him. It says that many believed. But then when the troublemakers from Thessalonica heard, hey, Paul's down there in Berea, and he's doing the same thing. And people are, it says that they showed up down there, and they ran him out of town. And so it says that Paul and Silas, no, it says that Timothy and Silas stayed there in Berea, and Paul went on, and he shows up in Athens now. Now, you might be thinking, you know what? This is just a bit of a pattern here. Why do I want to go and do this again? And we'll hit this in a, probably in a few minutes, but let me just say this about it. Paul was committed to do whatever it took to get the gospel to lost people. And, and it was like, but what if they reject him? So what? The end result of a person entering into eternity without Christ is, it's not just bad. It's not just really tough. It's horrible to even consider someone entering into eternity without having heard the gospel, having had the opportunity to receive the gospel, and then 
So Paul looked at that whole situation and he thought, you know, this is what I was born to do. And of course, he was very passionate about the other side of his life before Christ. He was traveling around, getting Christians, the believers, those people that put their faith in Christ and was having them locked up, put in jail. And so, you know, Jesus had given Paul, you know, we hear a lot about this in our, in our society about, well, we've been given a mandate to do this and do that. Let me tell you what a mandate was in the, Old, or to, in the Bible. It's when God told Paul, you will go, and you will go to uh, the Jews, you will go to the Greeks, you'll go to whoever I tell you to go to. And it's like, but what if it's tough? It's tough if it's tough, you're going to go. And that's not what, the, the Lord put it in Paul's heart to go. And it's like, we all do t- tough things. I remember years, a couple years ago, I was talking with, with Pastor Jack, and we were just going through some things. For those of you that don't know Pastor Jack, he's a pastor in Australia. And we were just talking about things, life and stuff that's going on and Anyway, uh, we were just, anyway, there was something going on, I don't remember, and I remember Jack told me, he says, you know, we do tough, we preach, we preach when it's tough, we preach when we're sad, we preach when we're mad, we preach when we're hurt, we preach when, when everything's out of sorts, we preach, you know why, because we, we know what we're going to say. And that's what we were born to do. Now, he's not just talking about preachers. He's talking about Christians. We share the hope that's inside of us no matter what. No matter what. Even if we feel hopeless at times, we know that there's a hope inside of us. And the thing is, is we are to be ready to share that hope anytime and with anyone that we possibly can. That was really where Paul was. Paul, you know, I can guarantee you after Paul was beaten... And after Paul was flogged and locked in prison and put in stocks, we talked about that last week, put in chains. Uh, and I'm sure he wasn't, you know, in the bottom of that prison thinking, you know, man, I feel pretty good right now. Man, I think if we get out of here, we can go. I don't think he was thinking that at all. I think something inside of him said, you know what, no matter, no matter the circumstances, no matter the conditions, no matter how difficult, no matter how fruitless it might appear, I I'm going to go forward. That, to me, so when I look at this, this chapter here, and I see Paul being run out of Thessalonica, being run out of Berea, and now he's in Athens, and he's thinking, what am I doing? I don't think he did that at all. I think he said, next, next, he knew what he was born to do. And so they show up in Berea, and it says they went to the synagogue and the people were open-minded, and they preached to them, and the people who heard they were there, they showed up, and they ran him out of Berea. So now he's in Athens. Verse 16, let's pick it up here for a, just for a couple of minutes. Verse 16, it says, While Paul was waiting for them, he was waiting for Timothy and Silas, whom he had left in Berea. He says, While he was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers. Uh, When he told them about Jesus and the resurrection, they said, what is this babbler trying to say with these things, these strange ideas he's, he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then he took, they took him to the high council of the, of the city 
come on and tell us uh, about this new teaching, he said. You are saying something rather strange, some rather strange things, and we want to know all the, we want to know what they're, what it's all about. It should be explained that the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seemed to spend all of their time discussing the latest ideas. You know anybody like that? I think we do it via the news today. We do it via whatever the spin is on the whatever network you look at. Hey, did you hear? No, tell me about it. But this is what these guys did with philosophy, with, you know, they heard about a new God. Oh, and there's people that were sitting back. And I'll tell you what blew some of them out of the water when Paul began talking about the resurrection. Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. The resurrection? There's, you mean, like, coming, you're talking about coming back to life after you're dead? They scoffed and they laughed at him because they didn't believe in it. They believed in live for the moment, live for the day, live for right now. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow, if we, once we die, we're dead. We're gone. Nothing. There's no life after death. That was the mentality, which is strange to me because why have all these gods you worship? They say that in, in Athens at this time that there was about 30,000 gods. Sounds like India. If you ever go to India, when we were in India several times, the, the, the thing is, is you can't go anywhere without seeing some kind of a shrine or a place set up where they're worshiping. You go into a home or you go into a business, you go in anywhere, there's a shrine. And they say there's 330 million gods in India. At last time I counted anyway. <laughs> they're like 330, that's, that's what they say, 330 million gods. Well, in Athens, Paul shows up and he's, passionate for the gospel he's passionate to tell people about god this god in heaven that loves them that sent his son to die on a cross he shows up and, and all he sees is all these idols you know this is where zeus came from athena that's where athens was named after the god athena these people were philosophers they just philosophized if that's a word they just kind of taught philosophy and they just were philosophical in all their thoughts. They added meaning. You ever known anybody like that? Something happens and they go, oh, well, this is what it means. No, that's not what it means. Well, no, no, I thought about it and this is what it means. You know, something goes wrong in somebody's life and they go, oh, well, you know what it means? It means that and then they add value to it. They add a, a meaning to it. Well, it means that God was, is angry because I did that or it means that, that this is why this happened. It's like, no, no. You know, somebody gets in a car accident. Oh, well, well, that means that. No, it doesn't mean anything. It means you're at the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe you turned in front of a car. Don't know. But this society, they added meaning to everything that happened. Well, the reason my wife is mad is because, and they'd add meaning. The reason our kids are acting out, and they would add meaning instead of saying, maybe it's because I did something stupid. <laughs> but they, this is the way it was in Athens. And so, and every time they would come up with a god, it seemed like, apparently, they would build a shrine, a monument, some kind of a, of a, of a, a deity. They would build this thing so they could look at it. So as Paul comes in to Rome, and they say, if you, if you go back and if you take time to read, it says that when, when you sail in, because he came via boat, it says when you sail in, you can see the Acropolis. You've seen the picture of the Acropolis. It's the, you know, like 42 feet 
tall pillar standing on a hill. That's the first thing you see. It's very, very impressive. And I can imagine in this day, it probably looked really amazing. Today it's fallen down. But the thing is, is he sails in, and it, it was known. He knew what Athens was all about. Paul knew. He, had, he was very well read. As a matter of fact, as we read a little bit more, he begins to quote some of their own philosophers. Because, well, we'll get into that in a second. He used the common ground of some of their things to point them to Christ, to point them to the, to the gospel, to the message of the gospel. So as Paul's coming in, he's looking, he's seeing, to my knowledge, he'd never been there. I don't think he'd ever been there. Doesn't say he has, but he shows up there. So let me pick it up here. This is verse 22. Paul was standing before the council addressing them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of the, your altars had this inscription on it, to the unknown God, this God whom you worship without knowing, it is the one I'm telling you about. He used their own stuff to bring in the message of the gospel. He said, uh, he, he, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Now, they didn't believe in this kind of a God. They believed that there was a God of the sky, a God of Poseidon, a God of the waters, a God of the seas. They believed that there was a God of beauty. They believed there was a God of all this. But the God that created everything, they might have considered that as Zeus, but I don't even know. And to be honest with you, I don't even care at this point. But I want to understand why he was doing what he was doing. He was communicating to them that there is the God in heaven that created you and me and everything we see and given us the power and the ability to think and to reason. Now I want you to think on this. And he begins to present the one thing that can save people. Just one thing. It's the gospel. It's not good deeds. It's not you need to be nice to your wife and your kids and stop kicking your dog. That doesn't save you. It might save you from some trouble in, in this world. But that won't give you eternal life. The only thing that will give people eternal life is what Paul is working himself around, all the stuff he's seeing so he can stand. He has a platform to speak and say, this is what I want to tell you, that there is a God that created everything. And I don't think they believe that. I think somehow, I don't know what they believed in all the ins and outs, but here's what Paul did. He used their stuff to, be, to use it as a platform to move into the message of the gospel. Pick it up in 24 again. He says, here's the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. Well, that right there was cutting across them. What? Don't you know all these things we've made? We've made them the God's things to live in and to live on and to live through. Doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. Now, that's not how these people lived. These people lived doing things to, to appease the God of the ocean, to appease the God of fire, to appease the God of this and that. Because they were serving him. They were, and you see that all over the world. They bring fruit and food and they'll put it at these shrines like it's a sacrifice. Is, it, is your God hungry? That's not the God that Paul was communicating. Paul was communicating and sharing with them the God that created everything. And he doesn't need anything from you. He hasn't gotten to the point yet where he says, but he loves you with everything. He loves you with the love that's unending. Let me read on. 
She says, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. For who? For us. We have need of a Savior. He satisfies that. Paul is building. He's building this up. He's, 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 he's laying this out in such a way that people are going, hmm. Wow, hmm, hmm. And thinking about it. Because they were philosophers. They were thinkers. That's what they were. It says that he is the God, let's see, verse 26, from one man uh, created, uh, one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when, he, when they should rise and when they should fall. He determined their boundaries. His purpose for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not, I'm sorry, let me read that again. His purpose was for the nations to seek after him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Not far. Now listen, he was preaching and teaching this to the, the people in Athens who were, who were thinking that, that, that God was whatever, however, in whatever form. But Paul is saying, he's close. He's right here. He's right here. He doesn't need you to build him an altar. He doesn't need you to build him a house. Let me just say, this is, we call this the house of God. It's the church building that we meet in. God doesn't live here. God lives here. He lives in us. God never wanted a house built with stones after Christ came. He never wanted us to build, I mean, not that it's wrong that we do this, but it wasn't like so he has somewhere to live. But these, but these Greeks, these Athenians, they were, they were building things to appease the gods that they feared because that was what motivated most of them was fear. They were afraid if they didn't do that, it might bring repercussions on their life. Verse 28 says, For in him we live and move and exist. Now, let me tell you this. That was from one of their own Greek poets. So Paul takes a line. See, we read that. We used to sing a song that way. In him we live and move and have our being. Yeah, we used to sing that and there's nothing that's wrong with it. But the thing is, is that was, that was a Greek poet that wrote that line. And he pulls that and he says, yeah, even your own poet says this. He was using, he was finding common ground to communicate the message of Christ. And verse 29 says, since this is true, shouldn't we think that God... Uh, we shouldn't think that God is an idol designed by craftsmen uh, uh, from gold or silver or stone. Verse 30, it says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now, now, today, Paul's standing in front of these, these, these people, and he's telling them today, whatever the day was, 73 AD or 63 AD, whatever it was that he was standing there, today, God... Today, God commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn to him. I'm sure these guys are going, what is this guy talking about? Verse 31, for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's bringing Christ into it. He's bringing Christ into it. And he proved to, every, and he, and he proved to everyone who, who this is by raising him from the dead. 
Now people, now they're going to freak out. When, Paul, when they heard Paul speak of the resurrection, some of them laughed in contempt, and others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers among them. And then he names a couple of folks there that, that came and became believers. Paul shows up in this place, and the declaration, here's the thing. I don't just want to, I love ancient history. I do, I love it. I love reading about it. But my question is, is for what point? Because I want to know how it applies in my life today. How does this apply in our life today? We live in a world where people worship. And when they might say, I don't worship this, where they give their honor in their time. Where you give your honor in your time is worship. It is. To, I'm not saying, well, your job, well, I don't know. Are we, are we living for our job? Is that our identity? Is that where we find everything that's important to us at our job? Jobs are important. Don't go quit your job. But I'm just saying, the thing is, is that when we find, whether, some people, it's money. The more they have, the happier they are. I'm not saying that's not my case. But the whole thing is, is I'm not unhappy when I'm broke. So I can tell you today, I'm pretty happy. I'm not broke. But I'm just saying, I can have more money. But would it make me happier? Sure, it would make me happier. But happier, happiness is a, is a result of happenings. And sometimes things don't happen the way I want, the way I like. And so you know what? I have to learn that my joy, and it's not about being happy, it's about being filled with joy. Our joy comes from the Lord. These people, their joy and their happiness came from what they worshiped. People in our world, if they find their joy and their happiness from the things they own, the things they drive, the places they live, the jobs they work at, and God's just kind of, well, yeah, I believe in God. What's the point? Today, it's, to me, I guess the whole thing is, is how do we find ways to share the gospel of Christ with people that are totally happy? I remember hearing a, I remember hearing a guy, he was talking about uh, people that are, that are unbelievers. And he said, they're not, they're not all unhappy. They're not all unhappy. Unbelie Every unbeliever in the world is not unhappy. They're not all miserable. They might be searching, but they're not miserable. So if we go and talk to people like, I know you're miserable, they're going to go, what are you talking about? I think these Athenians, I don't think they were miserable. I think they were just ignorant. And see, and I know that word took on some, a new meaning after I got saved because I was called ignorant by a lot of people when I was younger, and it wasn't men as, you just don't understand. Are you ignorant, ignoramus? They even added some, uh, some end, end words or end endings to that word. You're an ignoramus. People were just ignorant when it comes, a lot of them. I'm not saying all, but these guys were just ignorant. They had no knowledge of God. They just didn't know about this God. And so when Paul shows up and he begins to present the gospel to them, Lights begin to go on, but fires begin to start too. People begin to get angry. Other people begin to get thirsty. Other people begin to get confused. Other people begin to become, you know, uh, just apathetic. Ah, you know, that's all we need is one more God around here. All these things. But Paul took their stuff. He took their, the things that he found there. So let me go through real quick here. Uh, just five quick things. So Paul went uh, God had instructed the apostles all to go into all the world to preach the gospel. So Paul was obedient to the fullest and the, the extent of his strength. He went and he continued to go. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. Why? Because the gospel was the only thing that was going to save people. 
There's not a person on, and I'll just say it this, there's not a person in the world, there's not a person on this planet that will stand before God that's, that's heard the gospel and rejected Christ. You might, well, I don't believe that. Well, you have to read the scriptures. You have to see. Now, my thing is, is so what about other religions? What about them? Good luck. The Bible tells us that there's, only, there's no salvation through any other name other than the name of Christ. Jesus came to die on a cross for all men. Paul knew that. That's what God wants us to be motivated by, that we share the hope. Because here's the thing. At the end of my block, just uh, one, or one house from the end of the block where I live, an old gentleman that, that we've known for years. I mean, didn't know him really well, but we spoke to him on and off. He went to be with the Lord probably in the last week or so. I didn't even know it. You know why? Because people slip off into eternity without a whole lot of noise sometimes, without a whole lot of, you know, hoopla. They just go. Don't know. It could happen. And so we have to look at people's lives like that. That doesn't make me miserable. It gives me the opportunity. If you had the cure for some kind of a deadly disease, and no, I'm not going toward COVID right now. I'm just talking, using this analogy. If you had a disease, if you had a cure for something that would, and I'm not even talking about that would kill you in this life, I'm talking about in the next life, that it would choose, you could either go to heaven or you could spend eternity with God. You could spend eternity separated from God or you could spend eternity separated uh, with God or separated from God. And you had it, you had the ability, would you go, I don't want to make anybody mad. You know what, you wouldn't care if you really, if we really believe it. Paul really believed this. Well, what if they get mad? I'll just go to the next city. I'll just keep going. Just going to keep doing. And I don't think Paul was a rabble rouser. I don't think he was there to try to make everybody miserable. I think Paul was driven by a love for people beyond anything. That's what Paul was born to do, to take the gospel. And so Paul went. It was like the Energizer Bunny. Just, he just kept on going. Quitting was not an option. And then the second thing Paul saw, what Paul saw caused him to become frustrated. I think the word, it says that, uh, that he was stirred, one translation says. He was stirred. He was, he was irritated. Why? Because he saw a whole city of people that had no knowledge of the true, the real God, the God of eternity, the God that created them, the God. And this wasn't a God that was looking for a fruit bowl. This was a God that was looking to save and to pour out his love. And people deserve to hear that. That was Paul's attitude. So Paul, when he went, he was disturbed. He was seriously disturbed. When we look at the world around us, when we look at our family, we look at friends, does it? No, I'm not talking. There's things that disturb me. But do I get disturbed because of the disturbed because of the destruction that I see at the end of the road if people don't make a decision for Christ, if they don't step up? Or do I go, well, look, I guess they'll ask me if they ever want to know. And I'm not talking about shoving things down people's throat. I'm just talking about sharing the hope that lies within us. Does, does it disturb us when we see people that are just lost like a goose in a snowstorm? Or do we just go, well, they've made their choices because somebody, and, you've, and I've made mine. But the reason I've made mine and the way I made mine is because somebody gave me the light and showed me, and the gospel, which turns the lights on, caused me to see the God of heaven for who he is, a loving God, a kind God, a merciful God. 
And so Paul goes and he, uh, he's disturbed as he goes through the city. The third thing is, is what Paul felt. And we talked about that already. He was disturbed. He was troubled by all the idols. And then the fourth thing there is that Paul found common ground. That to me is the, is the key to sharing our faith. That's what Paul did here. He found, a, he, found a, he found a way to build a bridge to these people. And as he, as he began to look at it, because he, obviously Paul was a reader. He's quoting a couple of their own uh, poets and a couple of their own philosophers. He was quoting them, speaking things that they had said. So that basically they would go, oh yeah, yeah, well, I know that person. Oh yeah, I know that person. He was using their own stuff to point them to Christ. And then he takes that altar to the unknown God. And he says, God's revealed himself. And then he presents the gospel. Brilliant. Really brilliant. If we really believe, if we really believe that the gospel is the power of God to save the lost, then we'll share it. If we don't, then we'll leave it to somebody else because it may not work if I do it. I'm going to tell you right now. You know, medicine doesn't work if you don't take it. Well, see, but if I'm sick, I want my, do I want my mom or my dad to give it to me? If my mom gives it to me, it works. If my dad gives it to me, it doesn't. Not true. It's in, it's in the medicine. It's in, well, the gospel is not, well, if the pastor tells you, you can get saved. But if I tell you, it, no. It's not in the deliverer. It's not in the message person that delivers the message it's in the message I love the verse and I say it every week because it's probably going to be on my headstone I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes and when Paul wrote this in Roman in Rome when he was in Rome I believe he was in Rome when he wrote this he wrote it to the Romans he had already been here he had already been here and he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. All, because he'd been there. It's, it's the power of God to save every person. Every person. And so Paul finds common ground and he shares the gospel. He builds a bridge to reach them. And then, of course, the last thing is obviously he definitely does preach the gospel. The word Athens, if we even just take this real quickly and then I'll, I'll close today. The word Athens, the name Athens, means uncertainty. If you look at the definition of the word, it's uncertainty. Well, I think that was the condition of the people living there. They were just uncertain. We better build another altar because that might, there might be a God. If you thought about I think there's a, be, there's a nice place for an altar right over there. And I was thinking that maybe we're not worshiping the God of the air conditioner. I don't know. Just they're coming up with everything. 30,000 gods. Who takes time to think of that many gods? And why were they doing it? Because they lived in uncertainty. It was uncertain. Everything they did was uncertain, it seemed. They were always wanting to hear something new. They were always learning. They say learning. They're just hearing information. Hearing the spin from this direction. Hearing the spin from this direction. Paul comes and he lays out the gospel which can save their soul. What do we worship? What do we worship? I can say that we worship God, and I believe we do. But do I give honor to other things at a level that 
you know, depending on other things. What is it that we're pouring our life into? We're not all called to be preachers or evangelists, or, but we are all called to share the message of Christ. But maybe today, this is the first time you've heard it. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe this is the first time that maybe you've heard it and it's, something's clicked. I don't know. But there's no other name under heaven whereby men must, not might be, could be, hopefully can be, must, must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you as we close this morning. I'll talk to you about, real quick, the most important decision you will ever make. And that is to invite Christ into your life. If we will invite Christ into our life, He will come. The Bible tells us in Revelation that He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any person opens the door, I will come in. But He's not kicking the door down of your heart. He's not kicking the door of your heart down. He's not going to force His way in. He's not going to make His way into your life whether you like it or not. He comes in an invitation. He comes when the door is open. So today... What I would like to do is I would like to take a minute and pray. If this is you, you pray this prayer. You might be sitting here today, and maybe in your heart and in your mind, nobody knows where you are, but you do. You might be at a place of uncertainty. I I don't know. I thought I... You might be. I want you to know we can push everything aside, and I can assure you of this. The God of heaven loves you. The God of heaven loves you. And you don't have to depend on anybody else's opinion of you. You don't have to ap- depend on your, your, your works. You don't have to depend on anything that you have or haven't done that will, that will make you right before God. It's we open our hearts and we allow Christ to come into our life. His rightness causes us to be right with God. That's what it was all about when he came. Can I pray? Would you pray with me this morning? Would you bow your head? Let's pray.